This episode is sponsored by Pet Matrix Premium Canine Supplements. Straight Up Dog Talk is super excited to be partnered with Pet Matrix. After exhausting several other pet supplemental brands, I am now seeing the results that I have always been searching for for Toby and Fitz. Pet Matrix supports all three pillars of canine wellness using their cell matrix delivery. It delivers nutrition directly into the cell. If you're looking for a supplement that pairs with nature and science, look no further and get your dog on Pet Matrix today. Welcome to Straight Up Dog Talk, a new kind of podcast where no topic is off limits. We're bringing in experts and owners to have the conversations we should be having as a dog community. Each week, a new guest will share first-hand experiences, educational resources, or professional guidance to help you learn and grow along with your dog. You won't get one perspective here. You'll get them all, because every dog is different and every owner is too. You can follow along on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Straight Up Dog Talk or by visiting www.straightupdogtalk.com. Tune in from any of your favorite podcast platforms. Welcome to Straight Up Dog Talk. I'm back. I'm M, and Josh is here tonight too. Sure am. And tonight we have Haley with us, and we're going to talk about her dogs, Teddy and Lenny, also known as the fishing mutts. How are you doing, Haley? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here. Really excited to have you. You have such a fun account and such a unique adventure life with your dogs. I'm really excited to share this with the listeners and hopefully educate some people on how they can do the same thing with their dogs. Awesome. Okay, let's start with just home life and a little bit about Teddy and Lenny. Home life. Uh, my name is Haley and we live in Missoula, Montana with my fiance, Cole. Lenny and Teddy are both rescue dogs, as you mentioned, otherwise called the fishing mutts. Um, so pretty much every weekend and in all of our time off from work, we're either fly fishing or rafting. We do a bit of pack rafting with the dogs we love hiking, backpacking, and camping, and we even occasionally do a bit of snowshoeing and skiing together. Montana is really just a plethora uh, of wonderful outdoor activities. Cole and I both mostly work from home throughout the week, so we're with our dogs all the time. We're our best friends. Lenny is eight, and Teddy just turned nine. Yes, I remember seeing the birthday posts for Tenny on the uh, social media profiles, which we will be sharing in the episode notes so that everybody can come and check out Teddy and his funny little quirky smiles and head tilts and Lenny and some of her um, unladylike qualities. <laughs> Teddy did get some birthday steak recently. Oh, oh my. Well, Let's kind of start off at the beginning here. I had talked to you previously and you had told me that you adopted Lenny and your fiance adopted Teddy. So why don't you just kind of give me the origins there and tell us how that all worked out? That is correct. So I found Lenny on the side of the road when I was in college. I believe she was about six months up to a year old at the time. He was not in good shape. He was underweight. She had parasites. She wasn't spayed or microchipped. She hated men. Um, I tried to find her owner, but nobody claimed her. And uh, so from there, I planned on finding her a home because I already had a dog and I lived with a few other college roommates who both also had dogs. There were three dogs in our house. We were all full-time students and all basically worked full-time as well. So we didn't think that we'd have time for another dog. Um, but obviously, we did not end up finding her a home, which I'm very thankful for. She actually sabotaged her first first adoption, which I find pretty funny. <laughs> it was with one of my best friends who claims that she that Lenny peed all over her house. And I have a hard time believing that because Lenny in the seven years that I have had her has not had a single accident in the house and I'm not exaggerating but she must have known where she needed to be because she. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I think that she probably did know that she needed to be with you. So she just acted out, you know, misbehaved a little bit just to get back exactly where she needed to be, which was with you and with Teddy. So tell us a little bit about Teddy's background. So my fiance Cole adopted Teddy from a rescue out of Seattle, Washington when Teddy was only eight weeks old. I did not know them at the time. Um, Ted's litter was from Yakima, Washington. I didn't meet Cole and Ted until Teddy was about four years old. Okay. So you said that you go weekly to do all of these fun adventuring activities. Tell us a little bit how you started doing this and how you realized that it was a fun adventure to bring your dog along with you. So I've always loved dogs and I've always loved the outdoors. And I think that those things just go naturally hand in hand. And it was inevitable that those two passions would collide in my life. But a uh, fun fact, I grew up showing dogs like AKC confirmation. I went to dog shows every weekend from the time I was little until I was probably about 17 or 18. We raised German short-haired pointers, just had a litter like every few years or so. And we also did some upland hunting with them. And I also had Dobermans and a Chesapeake Bay Retriever, but I would show all different breeds of dogs for different people. And then in college, for a few years, I trained search and rescue with my Doberman and my German shorthead. That's so awesome. It was a lot of fun. I miss it a lot and hope to get back into it someday. But then I found Lenny and just became a mutt advocate, a mutt mom, <laughs> I guess. And I left that life behind. Um, so then after college, I briefly worked for the National Park Service in Utah, where I became even more infatuated with the outdoors. Then Cole and I met while living in Washington State. Uh, we'd both grown up fishing, respectively. Both already loved the outdoors. I had Lenny and he had Teddy. Um, they were both close to about four years old at the time. Cole was a fly fishing guide when I met him. Um, and he had started taking Teddy fishing when Ted was just a puppy. Teddy and Lenny actually did not get along at first. Teddy growled at her for the first two weeks straight. And Cole and I thought we might have to call things off because neither of us were giving up our dogs. But Wow. I would have never guessed that because they seem like they're such buddy buddies. They're always like sitting by each other in the boat or they pose so nicely when you, um, you know, take pictures of them on the trail. They're definitely best friends and inseparable now. And it was it was kind of like a switch flipped and all of a sudden Teddy was over it and he loved her and we've been adventuring together ever since. Oh, that's amazing. I know Teddy is obsessed with the fish. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Because I think that's my favorite thing about Teddy. That's what attracted me to your account. Yeah. So a fun fact about Ted is that he's somewhat recently found a moderate amount of internet attention, if you will. <laughs> he has some really funny quirks. Um, I think he's had four videos at this point go viral for his adorable obsession with fish. Um, he is so obsessed with fishing that he screams in excitement when we catch one. He watches us intensely while we're fishing, like he's impatiently waiting for us to like go ahead and catch him a fish. Um, he'll even watch our flies and ind indicators. So that's like our little bobbers, essentially, because he knows that if one of those goes down, it means that we've hooked a fish and then he's all excited. Um, so when we catch a fish and show it to him, he makes this hilarious face where he just like scrunches his face up and shows his teeth, but he's never tried to bite one. So I don't understand what his motivation is. He just gets really excited and you have some TikToks of him where he just makes this like hilarious little like woo woo like yeah. almost growl at the same time noise it just cracks me up he's just so funny some of my favorite comments on his videos are the ones where people try to impersonate the noises that he makes he's been called the fish singer people have called it yodeling people say he sounds like a bird they're all just so funny he also it cracks me up um if we're not catching anything, he'll go try to fish on his own unsuccessfully, mind you. But he kind of motorboats around, splashing in the water, looking down at the water. And it's very loud and unstealthy. So he's never caught anything. And 
he never will. I hate saying that because he tries so hard. Um, but it's just funny that he's so invested in our hobby. And it's just a lot of fun to share a hobby with your dog. That is really, really, really cool. Now, there's something else that Teddy does that is really, really funny. And the last time you and I talked about it, you explained it so well. I'm going to let you describe what Teddy does when he begs. Oh, my gosh. So he does this thing where he begs for food upside down. He, like, turns backwards and then turns his head backwards. Think, like, a little baby owl, how it kind of turns its head around. And he stared at, stares at us while we're eating um, with his head turned backwards. It's like he's really working it. <laughs> started doing that on his own. We did not teach him to do that. He was just one day like, I wonder if this will work. And he turned his head around like he was in the movie The Exorcist. <laughs> That's the million dollar question. Does it work? It does. that's good i'm glad to know that it works for ted um why don't you share a couple of funny things about lenny as well she's also kind of a a goofy girl he is so lenny is as sweet as she can be and she's very cuddly but she has her um difficulties i will say (laughs) she's always getting herself into some kind of predicament because she's just so derpy, I guess. Not a lot of thought going on in her head. Um, Yeah, she's always just poking around and getting into something. Yeah, you posted, I think it was a TikTok the other day of her trying to jump up on a tree and she just legitimately failed. Even though she tried very, very hard, she failed very badly. She ran full speed. It was, I was standing up on a big log And she ran full speed at it with so much confidence, like she was going to clear it and jump up on top of it. And she just smashed into the side of it and fell down, (laughs) got back up smiling and ran off to do the next thing. (laughs) Oh, well, both of your dogs are so much fun and they both have so much energy and so much personality. Do you know anything about what their breeds are? Teddy has had a DNA test and it came back with 19 different breeds. So none of them had very high percentages, but his top were Husky, Chihuahua, Pitbull, and Lab. And we have not gotten Lenny's DNA test, but we suspect that she's probably a Lab Pitbull. She has a lot of Lab qualities, kind of like the derpy, sweet Lab personality. And she loves the water and she is actually a naturally really driven water retriever. She'll retrieve out of the water all day long, but she also does some little pit bull things like how she sunbathes on her back with her belly exposed and she has a big cheeky smile and some other really cute pibble qualities. You have said this previously in another conversation that we had. You said uh, Lenny jumps off the side of the boat to cool off and then gets back in the boat. What did you call that? Oh, she acts like the river is her dog spa, no matter how cold it is inside. Um, I can't remember exactly how I referred to it, but she does. If we pull the raft over, the first thing she wants to do is hop out and soak in the water. Um, plunging. She cold plunges. That's what it is. Oh, I, I was on a river rafting thing in es- near Estes Park. It's the only time I've ever been r- rafting. And the guide was like, who wants to jump in the water? And I was like 13. And I was like, that sounds like a great idea. It's not a great idea, people. That this very cold water. <laughs> I froze up immediately. <laughs> well, it's like a beautiful place you were rafting. but yeah. It was. It was very beautiful. I don't know how Lenny does it. I actually have to kind of monitor her because if it's too cold out, obviously I don't want her soaking right. in water. But I read something recently that said labs don't feel pain as much as other dogs because of their genetics from uh, being bred to retrieve in ice cold water. So, oh, interesting. Okay. I mean, this was the middle of summer. It was a gorgeous day. It was like in the nineties. It's just the water was all melted snow. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds very cold. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to transition because you're talking about um, some of the things that you do on the hikes and stuff. So let's talk about how you proceed with training dogs to go on adventures like this. Like 
you get them in and out of boats, they carry their own packs. What kind of safety training do you do? Let's just talk about the adventures. Yeah, so um, in full transparency, my dogs are certainly not the most well-trained adventure dogs, um, and I wouldn't pretend that they are, but there are a few commands that I feel are very, very important for anybody who plans on taking their outdoors. So we've worked very hard on those and they do help keep the dogs safe while fishing and hiking. Um, The first of those that I think is by far the most valuable command for all adventure dogs is recall. Um, It's my personal opinion that dogs probably shouldn't be off leash outdoors unless they have a reliable recall because there are just too many things that can go wrong. For instance, if we see our dogs headed towards a dangerous situation, like maybe there's dangerous wildlife ahead on the trail, like a bear or hazardous terrain, like a drop-off, we need them to be able to turn on a dime and recall to us when we ask them. I actually struggled with this one with Lenny for a long time. She has quite a high prey drive that we battled with um, in her recall, but I feel like we've finally gotten to a place where I really trust her recall and it's reliable and we've been able to proof it even when there are critters around. Um, another one that has been really important for us is uh, the place command, both place and stay. Stay has been really important for us in the boat because we need to be able to trust our dogs to stay in the boat when we tell them and not jump out say into the river at a really bad time around river hazards or something like that. The place command has been very valuable for both teaching them to be comfortable in and out of the boat and at campsites. It kind of gives them direction and a place to relax, whether we have, I've been using a, a little bed to be their place mat, and I can talk more about training them to get in and out of the boat, but essentially we use this little dog bed at both the campsites and in the boat and they know that it's their place to go and stay and they can kind of release some anxiety or overstimulation when they know that they have to lay down and um, be calm on their place bed. Um, One command that I don't hear people talk about as often in the context of hiking and outdoor adventures but that we have found very very helpful is the heel command. I almost always have my dogs walk behind me on the trail in a heel position unless they're released. So unless we give them their release command, if we're in an area that's appropriate for them to run amok and be dogs, we will release them. But most of the time, the trail isn't the place for them to run wild. We want them to be walking behind us because it puts us between them and say, again, wildlife. Um, Most frequently, it puts us between them and other off-leash dogs coming along on the trail. Teddy has a slight amount of dog reactivity. He can be pretty selective, and it's really nice to be between him and another off-leash dog so that we can intercept the dog and not have an issue. The other area where the heel comes in really helpful is sometimes we're on terrain where I don't want to have them leashed because I want to use both of my hands. Let's say there are some like big rocks we're kind of scrambling up or something like that. When they're in a heel position, it shows them the safest path to walk. They're not going to kind of stray off. I, If I'm using both my hands, I'm not holding onto their leash. I also don't want them like clipped onto me where they could pull me backwards and I can fall and hurt myself. So having them reliably heal they can follow my safe path and not stray off onto more dangerous dangerous terrain or something like that. The other point in that is that they're not ahead of us knocking rocks off onto us. So the heel command has been super valuable outdoors. And then there's one more that I struggle with Lenny again. It's always Lenny. <laughs> believe it, um, especially when we're on the river. We don't want her getting into, I don't know, dead fish that have washed up and that kind of thing. Um, I have a funny story about Leave It with Lenny that might not reflect on me as a dog owner in the most positive light, but 
we're all here to learn together and I'm just here to be honest with you guys. So this story in retrospect gives me a chuckle. Um, One time I was camping with Lenny at an alpine lake and Cole and I had caught a fish that we planned to eat for dinner. It was just a small little trout and we had killed it and left it on partially submerged in the water on the shore so that it would stay cool until dinner time. And Cole and Teddy fell asleep taking a nap and I went and sat by them and it's on this big rock and the warm sun is hitting me. And I had Linny on a leash and I had her leash looped around my wrist. And I thought I'm going to stay up while they're sleeping so that I can watch the dogs. But I ended up falling asleep and I heard a commotion like splashing in the water. And I look, I wake up and look to the shore just in time to see Linny scarfing down this trout that we had caught whole. Just like, oh, no. just the way that a pelican would like open its gullet and inhale something. And I yelled at her to leave it. And of course, the first thing that she does is inhale it faster. So I'm terrified (laughs) that she's going to choke or the bones are going to hurt her or something like that. So I rush over there and I try to get it out of her mouth, but I just see like the tail slip down her throat. Thankfully, it wasn't a very big fish and she didn't choke and we were really remote. So there was nothing that I could do at that time. And when we got back to civilization, I immediately called the vet and he was very unconcerned and said that a trout from a pristine alpine lake is probably one of the most nutritious things she could eat. And if she hadn't choked already, she was going to be fine. But after that, we started working on the leave it command a little bit more seriously. I can see where that would be a really important command to have. And my dog Toby is very much like Lenny and would have definitely swallowed the whole fish if it was possible. He's eaten an entire six inch sub when I have left the room and, you know, thought it was fine, said, leave it, walked away. And he has jumped up on the table and devoured a six inch sub. And we're talking about like a 12 pound chihuahua mix here. So that's absolutely impressive. It is impressive. Actually, I was quite shocked that he did that. Um, And so quickly too. So it sounds like Lenny has a has a talent for scarfing as well. This episode features a paid partnership with Tag for My Pet. Tag for My Pet is a family-owned business that was started due to the loss of a family pet that never returned home. Tag for My Pet believes that every pet deserves a unique identity that reflects their personality and style. Their tags come in various designs and are made with high-quality materials to ensure that they are durable. Tag for My Pet invites you to join them in celebrating our love for pets and giving them the identity they deserve while creating a happier and safer world for our beloved companions. So let's talk a little bit more about the the training with the boat. Um, as you mentioned with the place command, how did you initially introduce the dogs to the boat? Yeah, so another full transparency statement. My dogs are not always the best boat dogs. I have friends who have dogs that just curl up in the raft and they lay down and they nap for the entire day. My dogs are not that chill. <laughs> I mentioned um, both of them have some underlay- underlaying anxiety. They generally enjoy boating with us. Otherwise, I wouldn't force them to go. But I wish I had introduced them to the boats in a more structured manner. When Cole and I first started rafting, we were young and I guess not the most educated or thoughtful dog parents. Um, side note. Honestly, the dog community that I've found on Instagram where I met you, Emily, is has, you know, enlightened and educated me in so many ways. But this was before that. Um, Obviously, they had some basic training and new basic commands going into this. But otherwise, we really just started taking them on the raft and they figured it out. But now we're doing some backtracking and trying to add some more structured training and positive associations with the rafts now that we know a little bit more. And so we take them on two different sizes of rafts and the way that we've introduced them is a little bit different for both. One is our full-sized 14-foot raft and the others are our small pack rafts, which basically just think like the size of a little inflatable kayak. For the big raft, 
the place command in just direction exercises and use of high value treats have been super valuable. We have a water resistant dog bed that we use to teach them the place command. So we taught them the place command, you know, in our living room or in the yard or wherever on that same bed. And then we transferred that bed into the large raft and they lay on that while we're floating on the river. And I always have high value treats accessible. So if they start to get anxious about something while we're on the boat, we just work on redirecting their focus. Maybe I'll have them do a sit and stay exercise or something to redirect their attention and then they get high value treats out of it. Also, before just putting a dog on a raft in the river where the raft will be like moving and it's in this potentially overstimulating environment, it's a good idea to practice at home first. So get the dog used to jumping in and out of the raft, doing their place command in the raft. You could practice sit and stay at in the raft, offer lots of high value treats while they're in the raft, but do all of this first while the boat is on steady ground at home. So their first introduction to it is in a familiar and comfortable place, and it won't be this completely brand new scary thing. Then it's basically the same thing in our little pack rafts, just without the place dog bed because they're too small to fit a full-size dog bed in them. So we inflate the little rafts in our living room, and then we practice commands in the rafts at home first, just same thing. We have them get in and out of the rafts with lots of yummy treats, and we have them sit and stay in the rafts. And um, yeah, that's how we've started building more positive connections with the boats. It sounds like you are are very structured and very organized and obviously very rewarding to your dogs when it comes to these tasks. So that probably makes it a lot more enjoyable for you and them at the same time. But always been that thoughtful, but we're learning more together every day. So do you think that if you started over in a couple of years with a new puppy that you would train differently now that you have experienced this kind of lifestyle with your dogs? Absolutely. I absolutely would. One thing I can say that I think I did right with my current dogs is not skipping the foundational learning. Obviously, for example, leaf, leash training needs to come before hiking. Um, socialization needs to come before you know we're in group activities outdoors, those kinds of things. I would do that again, but definitely for the more specific things that we're doing, like boating, I would train them in a more structured environment. Well, again, that's kind of what this podcast is about is we're, we're trying to not shame owners. We're trying to just be very candid, be very open and help other people in areas where they're struggling. And I think that like, this is definitely an area that not a lot of people know exactly what to do with their dogs in these situations, don't know how to train them for these types of things. And there's so many things that can go wrong in these situations that I think it's really important that you approach it in the proper way. And it sounds like you guys are really getting there. Well, I really appreciate that. Let's talk about some of the scary things that can happen um, on the hikes or in the boating, like hazards and other dangerous things, you know, that just can potentially pop up and how you kind of prepare for these things and train your dogs to work around certain situations. Absolutely. There are so many good things that come with adventuring with dogs in the wilderness, but there's also so much that can potentially go wrong without the right knowledge and preparedness. Some of the hazards that I can think of, I guess uh, I'll just start with river hazards because that's mostly where we're recreating. Um, so the first major river hazard that comes to my mind are log jams or other structures we refer to as strainers. So just think like a pile or cluster of logs in the river. It could also be big rocks or chunks of concrete. These are some of the most dangerous river hazards because you can get pinned against them or tangled up inside of them. These are especially dangerous where a swift current 
is hitting them. So think about how a pasta strainer has holes in it big enough to allow the water to run through, but not big enough to allow the pasta to run through it. The same thing can happen with your whole body if you get pinned up against a river strainer. And then you might not be able to fight the force of the current passing you in order to get off of it. Um, even then in calm and slow water, you could become entangled in branches and whatnot, clothes, a dog's collar, sometimes even life jackets can get caught on wood. So basically, you don't want to mess around with log jams and you certainly don't want your dog swimming upstream of a log jam where the current is flowing downstream into it because you wouldn't want your dog to get caught into that. Yeah, that's definitely something that I don't think the normal everyday person would think about. Um, that's definitely uh, knowing the terrain, knowing the area, knowing the climate, the, the weather. I'm sure all of that stuff factors in as well. It absolutely does. These are all things that I've learned over the last decade, and I did not know all of this when I first started recreating with my dogs. You just kind of pick up this piece of these pieces of information as you go along. Well, it also sounds like those are things that anyone that is going to be doing the activity in the first place should know. So at least make sure you're not a novice before you bring dogs into it to complicate the situation. That's absolutely true. There are, for anybody who's interested in getting into paddling or rowing, rafting with their dogs, um, even without dogs, I recommend taking a swift water safety course. Mm before you get out onto the water, just so you can learn about all of these hazards from a professional and, and you practice different safety scenarios and that kind of thing. Um, on the topic of river hazards, another major hazard that I can think of that we look out for when we're with our dogs um, are heavy currents, high water rapids, and then what we call holes. I kind of just think of them all in the same cluster, if you will. Um, obviously, we don't want our dogs swimming where the river is flowing too fast or where currents are too heavy, so to say, because they could get washed away or pulled under. There's a certain time of year in the Northwest, at least, that we call runoff or high water. Like you were mentioning with your rafting trip, all of the snow melts and runs off into the rivers. And around that time, the rivers become really big and fast and dangerous and they can be cold. Um, obviously this can happen just after a rain event too, but we really don't take our dogs fishing at all during high water because it's just too risky. Should they happen to fall in, um, you can check river flows. So the cubic feet per second or CFS it's called on the U S geological survey website before you go recreate on the water to get an idea of how fast the river's flowing. Then uh, rapids are another ha hazard, and rapids can range from very mild and practically inconsequential to very dangerous, and they're rated on a scale based on difficulty. Smaller rapids, let's say class one, sometimes even three if it's maybe lower water or something like that, don't typically scare me as much as the strainers that I mentioned. Because most often what happens is someone, if someone ends up swimming in a smaller rapid, is that they just flush out of it, especially if they're wearing a PFD, a personal flotation device, which you can get for dogs too, doggy life jackets. Where you can get into trouble in rapids, even sometimes in these smaller rapids, is if you're whacking rocks on the way down because that hurts and you want to protect your head. People can wear helmets they can also get into what's called downstream swimmers position, but dogs can't do either of those things. So that's something to be cautious of. Still though, most often what happens if a dog ends up falling into a smaller rapid, especially if they're wearing their doggy life jacket, is that they just wash out of it downstream and you can pick them up at the bottom of the rapid. Knock on wood, that has never happened to my dogs and I'm not trying to ever let that happen to my dogs, but I have unfortunately seen that happen um, with other groups on the river. Then bigger, higher rated rapids obviously introduce even more consequence. Um, for example, maybe there's something dangerous in the middle of the rapid that you need to avoid, like a big rock, 
or maybe there's a big dangerous hole they're called. A hole is anywhere where water flows down and then back onto itself. So think of like the white churning slope that you see at the bottom of a waterfall. That could be considered a hole and those don't have to be at the bottom of a waterfall. Just an example, they can occur throughout the river. Sometimes they're at the bottom of rapids. That type of water can be very dangerous if it's strong enough because it can pull you under or you can kind of just get stuck in it. Um, Man-made structures in the river like low head dams and diversion dams can also create these dangerous kind of currents, these like sucking currents. So we try not to let our dogs near any of those structures in it's good to be able to identify what a hole is, that big swirling, churning water, so that you don't let your dog swim near that either. So th- this is definitely not an activity that you should undertake with any lightheartedness at all. This is definitely a very structured um, hike, adventure, day trip, camping. Well-planned. Well-planned situation. And prepared. Yeah, this is not something that I'd bring Artemis I mean, I I am not an experienced hiker, adventurer, like the, the river rafting trip I mentioned was 31 years ago, <laughs> and it was the last time I think I've been in a river, so. I don't intend with all of this, I don't intend to scare anybody away from doing these activities because knock on wood, most of the time, nothing goes wrong. It's just important to know what could happen. The things that I'm describing are worst case scenario and there's as i mentioned a ton of good that happens adventuring outdoors with your dog and most of the time our experience is good it's just important to be aware of these things before you head out absolutely it's a common sense thing yes exactly it's a common sense thing but also i think that it is okay to scare the listeners just a little bit because like you said, worst case scenario, something bad could happen and not just in the water. Let's talk a little bit about wildlife because you and I had a conversation about this the other day and you enlightened me with a fact about bears that I had absolutely no idea was even a statistic. Yeah. So here in Montana, we have a lot of wildlife, some of which can be dangerous. Grizzly bears, I'm looking at you. (laughs) Moose are not to be messed with either. We have rattlesnakes, porcupines, mountain lions, you name it. Um, the fact that you mentioned is that off-leash dogs actually cause grizzly bear attacks. And it's a miscon- misconception that dogs deter bears, at least grizzlies. So what often happens if an off-leash dog is a bit of it, ahead of its owner on trail and it encounters the grizzly bear first... Obviously, the bear is this big, strange, smelly, startling thing. So many dogs are inclined to run at the bear barking, especially if they want to protect their owners. Unlike a black bear, which is more likely to run away, a grizzly bear is more likely to heed the dog's challenge or want to eliminate it as a threat. So the bear charges back at the dog. Then the dog gets scared with this huge animal chasing it and the dog runs straight back to the owner unfortunately the angry bear is following as the dog leads it back to the owner and i did say that black bears are typically more likely to run which they are but they shouldn't be underestimated either because they have been known to attack dogs there has been a recent string of that in british columbia unfortunately and and another consideration that I think falls into the wildlife category aside from encountering dangerous wildlife or um, needing to avoid dangerous wildlife is that dogs can get lost while chasing wildlife. Um, That's another danger. That's another area where that recall is really, really important. Right. What about plant life? What do you guys do to mitigate the dogs eating a plant or getting into plants? Um, or, you know, areas that are wooded with burrs and things like that. How do you mitigate where they stay with that beyond, like, the heel command? There certainly are plants that are going to be toxic to dogs or spiny plants like cacti that can hurt dogs. Thankfully, our dogs do not have coats that really um, 
attract burrs and that kind of thing. So I haven't had to deal with that personally. I guess I would just say that I try to be aware of my surroundings. And if I see cacti or that kind of thing, I do my best to keep them close and take the steps that I take if I need to leash them or have them heal or that kind of thing. Knock on wood, I have never ran into a plant toxicity issue, even though I know that that happens. And I hope that never happens to us. But I don't think it would be a bad idea for somebody to become familiar with identifying plants that are toxic to dogs in their area. I agree. I agree with that completely. What about... Remember that Odie, my six-pound Yorkie, if there was a plant anywhere in a yard he was in that had any burrs on it, he would find it and collect all the burrs. (laughs) That Yorkie hair is really difficult to get those burrs out of because that's that really fine, thick hair. Mm -hmm. Ouch, that's got to hurt too. Yeah. I have learned... From other people, other accounts, um, some people in the the veterinary field that coconut oil is apparently coconut really good. or cooking oil, there either one. It's because Yorkie hair is very similar to human hair, mm-hmm. and that's how you. That's the best way to get it out of human hair too. That's really good to know. That is definitely a handy handy little tip. But you do have cooking oil all over yourself, so you know. <laughs> Trade trade one for another, I guess. Yeah, that's that's fair. I think I'd rather have the cooking oil and uh, be able to wash it off than have this like sticky. Roman Reigns. Yeah. yeah. Greasy hair. <laughs> don't go into bear country with the cooking oil on. Right. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, I know that you also have the dogs carry their own packs. Can you tell us a little bit about what you put in the dogs' packs for the hikes and... Um, items that you think are absolutely, you know, necessary for them to have on them and approximately how much weight you allow them to carry. Absolutely. So our dogs do typically carry their own backpacks, especially if we're doing longer multi-day trips and we're carrying more. I don't typically make them carry all of the items that I pack for them. I split items up between my own pack and their pack. But some of the items that I always carry if we're going into the backcountry, say on a backpacking trip, um, a dog-friendly first aid kit. I think that's really important. I've always carried my own first aid kit. It was just a pre-assembled one that I bought from REI for backpacking. It's a little lightweight one. And not all of the items in that transferred to use on dogs. So I cross-checked my, instead of carrying two separate first aid kits, one for the dog and make two packaged doggy first aid kits too, I cross-checked what was in my first aid kit against what's included in a dog first aid kit. I just doggy first aid pamphlet because I'm not going to be able to remember all of those things off the top of my head when I'm out in the backcountry and I probably won't have cell service and allergic reaction while we were by ourselves out on a backpacking trip and we were pretty remote and that was very scary and I was able to use my little laminated notes to um, remember what dose of Benadryl to give her. Oh that's incredible. I can actually tell you guys that it's one milligram per pound as a vet tech. That's like one of those things that we get hammered into our heads because Benadryl and allergic reactions is such a massive thing. I had a, a Weimaraner that I used to watch that was a wheat colored Weimaraner and it got stung by a bee and had an allergic reaction. And I had to put him into my car and take him to the emergency vet. And I will tell you what, I am glad that that was not my dog because I have never written a check for that kind of money in my life before. But I am also glad that I knew what I knew because if I hadn't stuffed all that Benadryl down his throat, he probably wouldn't have made it. Well, I'm so glad that you knew that. You think that one, can you repeat the the one for? One milligram per pound. That would be so easy to remember. I don't know why I can't remember that. No, I think it's great that you have a little booklet that, that helps you because I go into what I call crisis mode because I worked in an event clinic and when emergencies happen and somebody brings in a dog that's hit by a car or bit by a snake or some other terrible thing, you just have to 
switch off those emotions and dive right into it. And so like all of those facts are just right at the top of my head. Whereas if you're not used to being in that crisis situation all of the time, you don't remember those things because you don't have to. So a booklet is a fantastic idea. Right. That's a really good point. So on top of the booklet, we carry um, however much food we're going to need for them. We determine if we need to carry all of our water or if there's going to be water available on the trail. So if the trail follows a stream or we're hiking a short hike to an alpine lake, we maybe don't need to carry much of our own water. But I I always try to carry more water than we anticipate we need because it's better to have too much than to get stuck in the heat or something without water. I sometimes carry little boots for them and I don't make them wear the boots while we're hiking but we've ran into situations where a trail was really rocky and it bothered their feet so it's good to have boots just in case or let's say um, you get caught in sunlight and the trail gets really hot that happens sometimes like on the hard packed dirt trails they can get really hot and irritate the dog's feet so it's good to have boots with us I carry a little it's called an emergency rescue sling it doesn't weigh very much but it's just in case of an emergency you can use it as a backpack and carry your dog out Linny has actually had tplo surgery and i am so grateful that she got that injury at home and not when we were out on the trail but it would have been had we had that happened out on the trail it would have been really nice to have that little emergency carry sling to get her out of there because she wouldn't have been able to walk out. We also carry doggy waste bags. I usually carry something to carry the waste bags in so that they don't end up smelling, maybe like a little waterproof dry bag or something like that. I always have high value treats on hand because you never know when you need to recall or give another command. We typically carry something for warmth for both sleeping and then if it's cold outside, maybe they need a jacket. So they have their own little doggy sleeping bag that they sleep in. It packs down really small. It doesn't take up much weight. Obviously, collar and leash. And then when we're fishing, we always pack their life jackets. Yeah, it sounds like you guys really prepare for every situation and that is definitely admirable. While we're on the topic of preparedness, is there any times that you don't bring the dogs with you due to situational conditions? And if so, what are those? There absolutely are times that we leave our dogs at home. As much as we want to include them on our adventures all of the time, not all adventures are suitable or safe for dogs. So it's important to know when to draw the line and leave them home. The other thing is that My dogs love to go on adventures, but not every individual dog is going to be an adventure dog and enjoy that. So definitely, I don't think that owners should feel guilt when they need to leave their dogs at home. Sometimes that's the safest thing. For example, every summer, Cole and I go on one or two rafting trips where the rapids are just too big for us to feel comfortable having the dogs with us. And they either stay with relatives or go to boarding. But it is important to pull the line and not put your dog in a compromising situation. No, and that's, I completely agree with you. Uh, Fitz is not the type of dog that would do well on those kind of adventures. This dog doesn't like to leave any area that's not familiar to him. We can't even go on walks because he gets too anxious. So he would just rather stay in his backyard and play with the ball. And if that means that I need to hire a pet sitter to come over and play ball with him so that I can go on vacation, then that's what I'm going to do. And just like you said, owner guilt, owner shame, these are things that we're trying to eliminate and help people get through with this podcast. So you saying that is really important um, to hit home to the listeners here because we don't want you to feel like you have to take your dogs to do everything. You absolutely can if you prepare and set yourself up for success the way that you guys do. And obviously, even though you've learned backwards a little bit, you're still doing everything you can to improve the situation for everybody. And that's what's the most important. You're making sure that everybody's happy. And that's very admirable. Thank you. I appreciate that. And likewise, I think it's very admirable 
that you know fits well enough to know what he's going to like and not like. And I think that he probably really appreciates that rather than you dragging him into situations that are uncomfortable for him. He would definitely be the dog that ran back with the bear. I guarantee you he would be Mm -hmm. that dog. (laughs) Toby would be the one to try and fight the bear. Toby would try to fight the bear. Yeah, 12 pound chihuahua all up in there, which is so funny because you said that Lenny has chihuahua in him and, and, or not Lenny, Teddy has Chihuahua in him. And they're they're bigger dogs. How, how much do they weigh? Teddy is about 60 and Lenny's 65, 70. It's so funny you see that little Chihuahua and you look at Lenny's picture and it, it, you would never see it. Uh, we're gonna share your socials um, on the podcast episode details so everybody can check out the fishing mutts and learn a little bit more about them is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners uh as far as the adventures or just day-to-day life about the dogs or in warning you know no i really don't have much else i do just want to say one more point for anybody who's hoping to get outside and adventure with their dog who maybe is new to it Um, don't be ashamed in building up slowly Everything that I talked about, I've learned over a decade, and I've thankfully had trustworthy friends and mentors help myself and my dogs learn how to do all of these things. And another point is that there's probably a course or a guide or instruction for almost outdoor skill you could have, you could want to have these days. So don't be afraid to ask for help and start slow if you're not confident in your safety in the outdoors. But I don't intend to scare anybody with the safety talk or discourage anybody from getting outdoors. And there comes a point when you just have to start doing something. Otherwise, you're never going to do it. So if that's something you want in your life, don't be afraid to get out there and start. That's incredible. It's great advice. And we will get the links for some of those courses that you mentioned. And we'll also put those in the episode details so that people can kind of figure out where some of those courses are available in their local areas. And I think that pretty much wraps it up. It was really great to have you. And I can't wait to see more pictures of Teddy smiling at fish and Lenny having some more of her silly moments out on the trails. It was really great having you. Thank you so much for being here, Haley. Thank you for having me. This has been awesome. All right, guys, we're going to wrap it up for this episode, and we will see you next week. Straight Up Dog Talk was created by Emily Breslin. It is edited, produced, and co-hosted by Josh Wasta under the supervision of Straight Up Dog Talk, LLC, and Emily Breslin. If you're enjoying this podcast, Follow or subscribe to be sure you don't miss an episode and leave us a review on your favorite platform. Looking for more honest and relatable dog content? Check out our sister show, Unpacked, with Jerry Sheriff and Madison Simpson. Thanks for listening to Straight Up Dog Talk. See you next week.